Yeah, uh, the uh, agriculture secretary, uh, Larry Echohawk, or, or Indian Affairs, Bureau of Indian Affairs, has just been called on a mission. And so he's resigning from the Obama administration. But I guess in one of Washington, D.C. chapels, they uh, had a fireside with him. He talked about his conversion story. And there were, there were uh, reporters there from uh, uh, CNN, I think also from the Washington Post, that were just reporting on and, and so they had a chance to talk to him about the prevalence of Latter-day Saints in the Washington, D.C. area. So, listen to the press. Listen to the press. Yeah. Yeah, that's what these people were saying the other night. Yeah, well, I'm just not sure we worship the same God. And that, you know, and I could have gone into, you know, because theirs has always existed, and, you know, and he's, and, I mean, it, and it just was not one of those points. But they said Jesus, and I can't figure out how. Yeah, well, at least at this refreshing this time, the last time I, I had this kind of discussion, I was being berated for worshiping Joseph Smith. Some of those, yeah, it's kind of coming around, so they're not quite sure. The one thing, and I'll just pass this along, it's an interesting corner that they paint themselves into, yeah. uh, where, it, it, where we talked about uh, the polygamy issue. And I said, we don't do polygamy unless it's commanded. Well, God would never command that. Well, that would be a surprise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Well, Abraham was an adulterer. Because God would never command that. And I just think it's a, like I say, they've been painted into a corner that has to say, and if God ever commanded that, then it's a different story. But all we can do is get caught in that, that thing. So, anyway, I just think they're wonderful opportunities for us to just declare our faith and be straightforward. So, all right. Well, let, let's go ahead and get started. Um, Sometimes when, when I, I speak somewhere and uh, uh, people, and, and I've got in my biography that I have, uh, we have an obnoxious cat. Actually, he's an obnoxious ninja cat, and I thought I'd show you a picture of my obnoxious ninja cat. Actually, it's not my cat, but I thought it was a great picture. Okay. <sighs> All right. Well, as we as we get into this today, uh, boy, there's some fascinating things in these sections, and and this is always one of those times when I'm aware that I'm drinking out of a fire hose, and how much we're going to pass over, and what we're going to choose to talk about, what we're going to choose to leave out. Um, but I want to just kind of set this up a little bit if I can by saying uh, this is the point, remember that the brethren kind of got excited about we're in Kirtland, now Zion's going to be revealed, off comes the, you know, we've got, we got the great camping trip, you know, off to the wilds of Missouri. And we set apart the, the, the uh, temple plot and the place of Zion and now this is all about to happen. Uh, and preach along the way, so for a lot of these brethren, this is really their first missionary experience. And, and so, but now they've been away from Kirtland for a while, so now they make their way back. 
And, and we, have, we have a group of converts in Kirtland, just like the ones that were traveling, they're having a hard time meshing. You know, they're not yet one. So there's been, Joseph's been gone, we're kind of saying a bunch of stuff, and, and so they're kind of being antagonistic. Where'd he go? How come we didn't get to go? And all of that. So, um, so they're going to come rolling back here. So let's start off um, DNC 63. And again, we're going to give a little bit of a. Um, I'm going to jump ahead, but I just want you to kind of see the. I want you to see the sweep of, of things and where it is that we're going. Okay. Um, somebody want to start with uh, verse 28? I'm not doing it. Right. Okay, thanks. Okay, let's stop. Put it in the hearts of who? Those that will attack the church. Okay, and especially he's going to start foreshadowing what happens in Missouri, in, uh, in Jackson County. Okay, so now, li- now listen to this, th- this discussion here. Okay, now, isn't this interesting? Here is this land. And, and, and if you think about it, it's, it's, a, it's, a, uh, it's pretty common sense, right? If you're supposed to go out to Zion, and we don't own a lot of land in, in, in around independence, so there's only really two ways that you can ever get land, right? Short of like squatting on it or, you know. One is by purchase, I buy it. The other is by... Conquering, blood, killing. Okay, and and by the way, that was uh, if we if we ever get around to doing the uh, Pearl of Great Price, uh, that's what Hugh Nibley calls the Mayhem Principle. That it's out of the Pearl of Great Price. It's what Cain learned. There's really only two ways to get things. I can either kind of purchase it or buy blood. And he learned. Wait a minute. I can shed blood and get property. That's the mayhem principle. I can kill, and now it's mine. You know, I killed my brother, and I got his stuff. Would you apply that to when the Israelites took over the land of Israel? Yes. <laughs> that again, it's, a, it's one of those principles that says now, uh, if you're going to if you're going to take over property, it's going to be per- by purchase or by blood. In other words, you you contracted to do it, or we'll do it by force. Um, and, and in this case he's saying okay if you're going to get this land it's either you're going to buy it or you're going to shed blood to get it so now he keeps going next verse and if by purchase be holy or blessed that's what we're after and and if by blood as you are forbidden to shed blood lo your enemies are upon you and you shall be scourged from city to city and from synagogue to synagogue and but few shall stand and receive an inheritance Okay, now. Um, Are you in section 61? 63. Okay, now. Here is one of the. Let, let me go after some of the things. One of the things that has been mentioned 
uh, when people attack the church, and it's, it's a long-standing thing, so, so stay with me while I give you the background on this, okay? And it's really a problem, and I want, to, I want to do it in this context while we have this scripture, while the Lord is telling us what's going to happen. Um, jumping way ahead, uh, about uh, five years, what's going to happen is, is that we will be driven out of Jackson County, we will go to uh, up and start to settle far west. We will have a, call it an area presidency uh, of three brethren, uh, David Whitmer, uh, W.W. Phelps, and Oliver Cowdery that will be administering affairs in uh, far west. Two things are going to happen simultaneously. One, uh, the, the people of Caldwell County uh, begin to attack the saints. They've gone from, uh, they used to hire the saints just after they got into, after they kicked out of Jackson County, they were hiring them to work in the houses. So, and they're multi, mostly they're southerners. So the, the idea is, is that kind of a plantation mentality. We're bringing you in almost as benevolent slaves. You're going to come in and work in our houses. Which was fine until the the, the saints started gathering money and now they're purchasing their own properties and now they begin to be more of a threat. And so there, we get the beginnings of what, what's called the Utah War or the, the Mormon War there because uh, in some cases settlers, uh, old settlers were burning some of their property and blaming it on the Mormons but in some cases the brethren kind of got tired of being pushed around again and so there was a group under the uh, uh, under the uh, leadership of a guy by the name of Samson Abar. Samson Abar was tired of being pushed around. So he gathered some of the brethren together and said, let's go do this ourselves. We'll go burn their stuff. We will go attack ourselves. You kill our crops, we'll kill your crop. You know? And they started to be more aggressive and antagonistic. Uh, this was out of Joseph hadn't asked them to do this. And this commandment specifically tells them not to do it. And they did it anyway. Then we're going to get that moment where they start pulling Sidney Rigdon in. Sidney's already fled Kirtland. Sidney Rigdon's attending some of these meetings. And the final blow for Far West is going to be what he calls the Salt Sermon that will be delivered in July of 1837. And he's going to get up on the 4th of July in the group of saints and he's going to say, uh, Salt is an important element, but some among this are the salt that's lost its savor. Specifically, he's talking about these, the, the, the presidency. Uh, Sidney Reagan is saying this. And specifically, he's talking about W.W. Phelps, David Whitmer, Oliver Cowdery, because there's been money that's been gathered in some of the outlying branches, especially in the South, that has flown up there. These brethren are buying property, they're keeping it all in their name. And so they're, and they're getting the good houses and the good places. And when Joseph gets out there, he won't even have a place to live. Because that's the moment, remember, when Joseph is saying, because you've heard the story, uh, where Joseph is praying with his family and he says, uh, Heavenly Father, we're grateful for these Johnny cakes. Uh, and please bring us something better. And they open the door and there's a man standing there with a ham. And he says, I felt like I should bring you this ham. Okay. That's in Far West because a lot of the money has settled in these three brethren. 
And people are poor. There's a, and so there is a, there's a rising up among the saints in this area to drive out these brethren. And these, and these brethren get notes signed by a lot of people saying you better leave her else. This is the Samson Abar gang that calls themselves the Danites. And the Danites are going to be the ones that are carrying out stuff against the, the settlers and are driving out the dross, the, the saltless loss of Satan from among the saints. It's the Danites. And this Danite thing is going to, Brigham Young is going to have Danites in the eyes of the popular press and, and Porter Rockwell and uh, William, can't remember his name. Uh, anyway, that you've got to be afraid of the Danites because they're going to wield the sword of justice. They're going to be killing people. This is the old tribe of Dan, but it's going to be the, the uh, angels of vengeance, the avenging angels. Okay. So sometimes when you read up some of the old history, was he, was he no, 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 no. But that was the that was the myth that was carried. And you'll still see it in anti-Mormon literature where they talk about where Brigham Young was vengeful and he would send uh, Porter Rockwell to kill people. William Hickman, Bill Hickman, was the, uh, the other avenging angel. And, you know, and it was dime store stuff that was being sold, but it's always based on the Danites who have their bases here. And the idea being that the Lord is saying, look, if you want the land, do it by purchase. If you buy it, You'll be blessed. If you try and do it by blood, then listen to what he says will happen to you. If you try and force yourself, then uh, your enemies are going to be upon you. You'll be scourged from city to city. And from synagogue to synagogue. Why synagogue to synagogue? That's odd. Why do you synagogue to synagogue? There are not a lot of synagogues in there. Yeah. Temples are the synagogues. And then also this is an Old Testament reference. Old world reference. To the time where how the Israelites will be driven from synagogue. And how the, the early Christians like Paul would teach in synagogue. And ultimately they were driven from synagogue to synagogue. So if you do this, if you try and do it your way and not my way, then you're going to be driven. And we're going to get some later revelations that are going to say, and that's why you were driven out of Missouri in the first place. Because you would not be one, you wouldn't concentrate, consecrate your stuff, and you begin to be aggressive against the old settlers. And uh, like uh, Rick was saying uh, back, the other thing we were doing, of course, in Missouri is that we were showing up and going, this is our land. Well, that's interesting. That, you know, we've been here forever. We just got here. We've been settling. Sucks to be you. Because, in fact, the more Mormons come and we're going to, this has been our inheritance, and you might as well just leave now because, you know, we're, this is the promised land and we're the promised people. <laughs> so we didn't help ourselves a lot in Missouri. He was at, she said, was he advocating pacifists? Um, if they had, if you, you'll notice that, that there's a subtle thing that happens here. The, the Lord says, if you will be one, and if you will be united, I will fight your battles. Now, we are going to see a point at which, uh, and it's going to be in, I think what section it is, 98? Yeah, I think. Where the Lord says, 
there will come a point that if you have done exactly what I've asked you to do, and they keep coming, then yes, go to war. But it will be because I directed you to do that. But up to that point, I will fight your battles if you let me do it, but you've got to be one. And these guys wouldn't be one, and they were doing it contrary to the revelation. This revelation. I don't have a lot written about Zion, but when you think about Zion, I, I don't know, my impression is they were not uh, the type of people that you were just talking about where, hey, this is our place, we're going to take it over. That wasn't the mindset of the people. Shouldn't have been. But I mean, of the real Zion. Oh, absolutely. Oh, absolutely. You know, yes. As, yes, as yes, I yes. read about things about the real Zion, about city of Enoch type. Yeah, yes. they, had, they had a different mentality from that. At least the picture I get. I think that's true. And that's why I say it's a very loving, accepting kind of thing. And these guys were still a little bit rough. I mean, one of the first people they sent out to Zion to kind of help keep an eye on things in Missouri was Porter Rockwell. Don't push Porter Rockwell. <laughs> what? Old Ford was not going to be shoved around very much, and he won. Okay, I'm getting the impression that because a few of these men yes. were in this mindset of, you know, of being greedy and uh -huh. aggressive, that that ended up being um, a bad thing for all the saints that came there. Kind of spread, yeah. Except because of what they did. It, it, that, that mentality started to spread. That was, that was not... Everybody else was fine, and these guys were struggling. Everybody was really kind of struggling with the fact. And, and you kind of sort of can't blame them. I mean, they had their stuff in Jackson County. They get kicked out of there. They just start to build things up again. The old settlers start up again. I get that there was some fear and worry. But the way that they handled it was not necessarily to trust the Lord. It was to start to trust their own arm. And we'll take matters into our own hand. God isn't doing it fast enough. And we're just going to have a problem with faith here. And he says, in my Zion, you trust me. I am your, I'm, you trust my arm, not yours. And if you try and do anything by shedding of blood, which you're forbidden to do, then you're going to be driven from city to city, house to house. And that's exactly, exactly what happened. Well, another part of that that's interesting to me is politically, and I wonder if it's why we're so neutral now as a church, but... As the church grew there in the area, they started saying, vote for this person. Let's take it over. Yep. If we can't do it by force, let's do it politically. So and and then we came. That's right. And we're going to vote as a block. Right. That was the big problem in Nauvoo, yeah. is that we were going to vote as a block. Uh, and that meant that not only can we're going to get our judges elected, we're going to get our mayors elected, we're going to get our governors elected, and then we'll really be protected, and the old settlers were not having that, and part of it in Missouri was, and, and we hate slavery, by the way, and the southerners were coming up and going, no, Missouri needs to be a slave state, and the fact that we were going to go out and get talk to the Lamanites, and, and unite the Lamanites with us, and, and we had uh, African Americans coming in, and we were treating them as free men, not slaves, that was another threat, I mean, there's a lot of issues that went into this, but but again, if you're going to try and force this thing, you don't force in Zion. You just don't. And the, and the Mormon church wasn't the only group that was being driven out of the state. Black ministers yeah. were being murdered when um, African Americans 
Yep. When they received, when they in their church became their minister, they were murdered. They were driven from the state. We we did not give the priesthood to our to our African American, but if we had, they would have been the first ones driven. Now, Parley Craft, Parley Craft published something specifically about uh, the rights of the uh, black man, and that and that really stirred something. I mean, there was a lot going on there. Uh, this is the Wild West. I mean, these guys are these guys are moving into Dodge City, man, and, and people are on. You know, it's like Alaska as it was developing, and it's like if you're not getting along with your neighbors there, go to Missouri. You know, you can go be as wild and lawless and and gamble and horse races and all kinds of stuff and drink till you're drunk and stuff like that. That was this was the Wild West. And Joseph Smith's political platform and the missionaries. Yeah. Hang out with the political platform for how his method for freeing the slaves, and in the middle of that state, in the middle of that slave state, the population growing, the state getting ready for a vote. I mean, there's basically two ways to write the history of this. One is they were the, from the African American view of what happened to the African American. <coughs> And the Mormons with them, and the other from Joseph was a martyr yeah. for Jesus Christ. Yeah, this is so. Anyway, this ends up being a complicated thing, but I just want you to see. Um, I want you to see kind of what the Lord was warning against, and He said, um, verse thirty-four: uh, "The saints shall hardly escape." Uh, and basically he says, listen, 33, I've sworn in my wrath and decreed wars upon the face of the earth, and the wicked shall slay the wicked. The righteous will not slay the wicked. The wicked will slay the wicked. That's what happens. It's not up to you to do it. Vengeance is mine, and I will repent, not you. Okay? All right. Now, there's one other that I wanted to touch on here. Um, verse 36. Wherefore, seeing that I, the Lord, have decreed all these things upon the face of the earth, I will that my saints should be assembled upon the land of Zion, and that every man should take righteousness in his hands and faithfulness upon his loins. That's odd, isn't it? How do you take faithfulness upon your loins? Well, you can see I've dropped in a, I've dropped in a scripture here, uh, and, and we don't have to necessarily go up to it because I, I put it in here. But if you look back in Genesis, we get this moment with Jacob wrestling with the angel that turns out to be the Lord. Okay, and and if you don't understand this terminology, it sounds a little odd, doesn't it? Okay, Genesis uh, thirty-two twenty-five. And when he saw the angel that he prevailed not against him, he touched the hollow of his thigh, and the hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint as he wrestled with him. You see why people get a little weirded out by the Old Testament? <laughs> oh, what's this thigh thing going on and the loin thing going on here? You have to understand the culture of this people. Okay, and that and the symbolism that goes with this. Um, thigh is kind of interesting because they're 
there are two sides. The outer thigh is going to be uh, where you keep your sword. So there's a terminology on the outer thigh of I will protect you. It's, it's a symbol of strength. The inner thigh, this is a symbol of covenant. This means that I'm about to make a covenant with you and it will be binding on you and upon the fruit of your loins, on your children going forward. So when we talk about girding loins and we talk about covenants, I mean, they would literally, um, they would literally take one hand, somebody would put their hand on their hand, on their thigh, saying, we're going to covenant by your thigh, basically, as a sign of enduring covenants generation after generation that this is what we're going to do. So it's a symbol of covenants. Does that make sense? So when we look at this and we say that every man should take righteousness in his hands and faithfulness upon his loins. Everybody that will go to Zion needs to do what? Covenant. And keep their covenants. And if you break your covenants, one of them being you won't take Zion by blood. If you break those covenants, you will be driven from house to house and synagogue to synagogue. He's, the, the term synagogue to synagogue, he's, he's giving us a view of, it's an Old Testament flavor. That's why we get into this. He's kind of hearkening back to all that. So he's just saying, you're making an Old Testament type covenant with me, don't break it. Under penalty of really bad stuff. Does that make sense? Okay, yeah. Tell us the chapter. <coughs> the, the chapter about Genesis. It's uh, Genesis 32-25. Uh -huh. There's also another one in Genesis 24-2 uh, where uh, Jacob is... The, the covenant is... I think that one is uh, Jacob and Esau where the, the covenant is being made on the thigh. And my own, my own sense is, is that generally today where do we make covenants? Do we have yeah, on our heart and also on, on, on our altars, right? Here's an altar, sacrament altar. Where else? Temple altar. We make we make sacrifices at cross altars. We we are sealed to one another at cross altars. And I think in the absence of a temple, I think the closest they could come to was the, the loins, was the thigh that said we will make the covenant here because we don't have a temple readily available to us. And so that, that covenant is on our generation, for generation after generation. Okay, my, my seed going forward. Yeah. So, are you saying that... Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and I will say it again. Genesis 32, 25 should not be taken literally, that when it talks about how he wrestled with angel, yep. he's not really physically wrestling with him, but he is he is discussing issues with him and he is having having a conversation and he's they're right. they're, they're wrestling with each other verbally more right. or or, or yeah. philosophically more than physically. And and when Jacob saw that he could not prevail against the angel, meaning he couldn't overcome the argument, then they made a covenant with each other, and uh, and 
the, the angel of the Lord prevailed in okay. getting Jacob to make the covenant. Jacob's left alone and wrestled with a man, and when the man saw that he prevailed not against him, this is, okay, he touched the hollow of his thigh. I think he did that literally. But did he wrestle with him literally? I don't think so. I, don't, I think this is a... Uh, but, but you get this sense, because well, let's go back here. Let's keep going. Uh, and he said unto him, um, What is thy name? And he said, Jacob. Now, because a covenant has just been made, we've done, we've done the covenant thing, okay? Thy name shall, shall be called no more Jacob. Remember, when we make covenants, we get... A new name is part of the covenant process. We're a new person. And a new person has a new name, a new lineage. And gets land. Those are the, the three promises that go with covenant. New, new land, new name, uh, new person. And he's going to say, you'll no longer be Jacob. But now you are Israel. And uh, Jacob says in 29, tell me I pray thee thy name. Who are you? Now, we don't get the answer, but what we get is, um, is it thou that ask after my name? Jacob called the name of the place Peniel. Why? Because I've seen God face to face. Who was he wrestling with? Jehovah. So he's not going to be wrestling on the ground with Jehovah. But it is the wrestle to gain his exaltation. It's the wrestle to gain his covenant. In the same way that Abraham says, I sought for the blessings of the fathers and finally got it. So in this place, this is Jacob wrestling for his blessings. But I do believe that literally because this tradition was passed down, that part of that the Lord may have said, let me show you how to make covenants that in a way that would be meaningful to these people and will do it by the inner thought. Yeah, and he wrestled. It's a perfect example. And I wrestled all night. And I struggled. If we're wrestling because we want to we want to receive those blessings from the Lord so much that it throws us out of joint, you know, it's just like you get that sense. Now, in that wrestling process, did he get out of joint? I don't know. Might have. But just you get this sense of almost like a clinginess. No, Lord, I need you every hour. Don't let go. I need you. And I'm going to hang on with both hands. And that's, going to, that's really going to play a role in just a second. Okay? Yeah. I thought that he did have physical infirmity after this struggle that he carried with him the rest of his Yeah, it seems like there is something yeah. to, to, to that. Yeah. That's quite a prayer, huh? Yeah. You know, it's one of those things that I'd really like more information about because we just don't have one. Yeah, he hauled it over his thigh. Yeah, so you kind of get this limping yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. Okay, and, and, and we don't even have time to go into the, you know, health in the loins and in the sinews kind of stuff. So, yeah. Did you almost say that since it says he was out of joint, goes back to what C.S. Lewis says, like shattering what he knew, kind of like renewing and giving him... Yeah, the things have to be shattered. They've got to be broken. We're going to walk a different way. I, I like that. Yeah, I, I like that. Okay, now, uh, so let's get back here to... Uh, there's just too much good stuff here. 
Okay. Now, here comes this next part. Let's hop over to DNC 64. Because here's the problem. Both the brethren on, their, on the road with them and those in Kirtland. They start saying, well, things aren't happening with this prophet exactly the way we thought they should have. And by the way, the more we're around him, it's like, this boy ain't perfect. You know? Joseph had a temper. Joseph was a horrible businessman. I mean, Joseph had some weaknesses here. Joseph couldn't write very well yet. I mean, he was getting better, but that's why he had that scribes. If he's gonna, if Joseph had written his own journals, we'd have toast. We would have been able to read anything that he wrote. And we go, really? And look at the language he's using. Now, by the time he died, he was a polished shaft. Section read one, section one twenty-eight. Man, Woo. but. At this point, he's pretty rough, he's pretty broad, he's still growing, and he's not what they thought. Okay? So, verse 5, The keys of the mysteries of the kingdom shall not be taken from my servant Joseph Smith. Yeah, we think, we think David Whitmer is better, or Sidney Reagan preaches a better sermon, or Oliver Cowdery is a little smarter, and they're all older. The keys of the kingdom shall not be taken from Joseph uh, through the means I have appointed while he liveth, insomuch as he obeyeth mine ordinances, long as he keeps his covenants. There are those who have sought occasion against him without cause. Nevertheless, what? He has sinned. Now, by the way, let me stop for a second. Let's say that Joseph Smith was the egomaniac that he has been made out to be. And it was all about how many women could he get or how much power could he control or whatever. What is the last thing an egomaniac is going to put in a revelation that he wrote himself? That he sins. Always amazes me. Nevertheless, he has sinned, but verily I say unto you, I, the Lord, forgive sins unto those who confess their sins before me and ask forgiveness, who have not sinned unto death. Specifically, who's he talking about? Joseph. I, he has sinned, but I forgive sins of those that will confess them. Remember again, what drove Joseph into the grove? For the first vision, his sins. Where should I go to have my sins remitted? What church? What organization? How do I get my sins remitted? <coughs> what drove him to pray in 1827 to get the revelation from 1824? From uh, Moroni. His sins. Uh, and so Joseph was always very, very aware of his sins. But the Lord's saying, I'm forgiving his sins because he's coming to me, confesses them, he forsakes them. And by the way, you should too. Because now he's going to go with, Eight, my disciples in days of old sought occasion against one another 
And now here comes the kicker. This is the hardest part. So brace yourself. It's guilt time, all right? If I warn you ahead of time and I'm going to guilt you, is that okay? Yes. It's like when you get guilt and you didn't see the guilt coming that it's harder. Okay, so I'm, I'm warning you ahead of time. Here comes guilt. Stop it off. Be ready. Okay. My disciples in days of old sought occasion against one another and forgot and forgave not one another in their hearts. Let me that great. President Kimball. Forgiveness means forgetfulness. One woman had gone through a reconciliation in a branch and had made physical motions and verbal statements indicating it and expressed the mouthy words forgiving. Then with flashing eyes she remarked, I will forgive her, but I have a memory like an elephant. I will never forget. And listen, listen to President Kimball, who could be a little direct at times. Her pretended adjustment was valueless and void. She still harbored the bitterness. Her words of friendship were like a spider's web. Her rebuilt fences were as straw, and she, she herself continued to suffer without peace of mind. Worse still, she stood condemned before the Lord and there remained in her the greater sin in the one who she claimed had injured her. Now, brothers and sisters, this is a tough one. You think about the legitimate ways in which you have been harmed in your life by other people. And he says, and if you don't forgive them, in you rest the... How do, you, how do you say that to a girl that's been raped? How do you say that to the family of a whose family member was killed by a drunk driver? How do you do that? I cannot think of a heavier thing for the Lord to ask of us when we have been hurt to say, I need you to forgive. And yet He does. And in fact, forgive us our sins. Go back to Alma 41, the, the, the principle of restoration. Forgive us our sins, basically, as, to the same extent as, we forgive. And if I, and, and the subnote to that should be, and if I don't, don't. Extend mercy unto me, Alma 41. Extend mercy unto me to the same extent, extent that I extend mercy. Extend righteous judgment unto me to the same extent that I extend it. Forgive me to the same extent I forgive. Forgive them and they keep on doing it. 
Or let's say that uh, they're completely unrepentant and they're just going to keep on. Uh, now, is there anything in here that says uh, you must forgive, but you must stay in that relationship and keep being hurt over and over and over? No. Forgiveness doesn't necessarily mean continuing to put yourself in harm's way. But I also know, by the way, uh, I was using this analogy with uh, a couple of my clients. We put lions in cages because we know what they are. We, we keep them behind walls and bars because we know what they will do a hundred times out of a hundred. And some people are like lions and tigers, and we need to put them in places where we are safe from them, but that doesn't mean that we... We need to recognize that that's what they are for whatever reason, but this forgiving part says, and I pray that the Lord will one day soften their heart, and one day change. It isn't happening yet. But boy, this is hard. I, I just can't, I can't picture anything hard. Yeah? I'm not saying this in a very, very humble way. When my son was murdered, I asked for a priesthood blessing. And through that blessing, I was able to forgive my children. Go through the trials, go through all the situations that I had to go through. And all I could do was feel sorry for them and their families and hope. That something was made out of their lives after they served their sentences. Wow. That's, that's amazing. I don't know if you guys heard that, but she was just saying that her son was murdered and she had to go through that whole process. So. And, and I think we know, don't we, that when we have been, when we get to that point, that that anger is replaced by sadness and hoping that somehow the Lord will go be able to do something for them. That wow. Bless your heart. But you can never forget. Does that mean you're having forgiven? Ah. She says, but you can't, but you never forget. When, what's the sense that you get with her? She says, I will not forget. She's meaning, I'm going to harbor that. I will remind you and every discussion that we get into, I might throw a little dig in. Because then every time I see you, I'm going to be reminded of that. And yeah, you may be this way, but remember what you did before. And it is that heart that has a change. And that's why I think this is powerful in here because he says, My disciples in times of old did not forgive themselves where? In their heart. There has to be the heart change. And let me just add to this that how does this work in such a hard place? That forgiveness for the for those boys was a gift. It was a gift from of the atonement. It was a gift of the Savior to allow peace into your heart in a way that you never could have done on your own. And that's why I say it's not in a bragging sort of way. It's in a grateful sort of thing that He replaced that, and my life can be more at peace now rather than to carry that anger and that bitterness. Bless your heart. Yeah. 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 I think it's a denial of the Holy Ghost because you're, you, instead of trusting that the Holy Ghost will warn you, 
you go, I better keep my own defenses up because I'm going to have to warn myself. Now, uh, I think, it's a, I think you're, there's a denial actually of two things. One of the reasons why he's saying that we need to forgive is that there's a denial of two things. Number one, the Holy Ghost would like to heal you. And you kind of have to almost go, la, 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 la. I don't want to hear it because I, because for a variety of reasons, if I, sometimes I've had people have a hard time forgiving because if I forgive them, then what happened to me wasn't that bad. Or I've, I've ceased to acknowledge that it didn't hurt me. It did. And it happened. Or it didn't really happen. It wasn't that bad. No, it was that bad. It really was. But the other one, and I tried to find the quote, and I, I, I want to say that it's... I can't remember. Anyway, they said, the other thing is, is that when we're not forgiving, we're, we're trying to somehow deny that the atonement of the Savior could happen for them. That He could forgive them. We're trying to deny that atonement. And He says, I will. I will forgive whom I will forgive, but of you I will command you what? To forgive all men. But I will forgive. And I will heal your heart as the victim. I will heal their sins. I will heal your heart. That make sense? Okay, yeah. I have another question. Yes. Um, if this person says they have repented, they keep repeating the sin, they don't repent. I think at times they can repent, absolutely. They can. I think with all intent of heart, if, they, if in their heart they were intending to repent, and they're going to try and live life better, then they repeat it. Sometimes those habits die really hard. That's why we just pray that the Lord will kind of finally break through. Look at the children of Israel. How many times have they blown? So, all right, let's. let's oh man, we got. Worse still, she stood condemned before the Lord, and there remained in her the greater sin than in the one who she claimed had injured her. Little did this antagonistic woman realize that she had not forgiven at all. She had only made motions. She was spinning her wheels and getting nowhere. In the scripture quoted above, section 64, uh, the phrase, in their hearts, has deep meaning. It must be a purging of feelings and thoughts and bitterness. Mere words avail nothing. So, all right. Oops. Boy, we run out of time. All right. In the in the time remaining, um, there's another extremely important lesson here that I think we need to be able to delve into. We can shift gears for just a second. I need you to picture part of understanding where these, why these sections are given is understanding the circumstances behind it. If you can get this, suddenly these verses all make sense. And this is one of those. I want you to picture what's happening. They gather from New York and all over, and they're going to gather to the Ohio the way that they were supposed to. Then they get to Kirtland, and now what are they here? We're going to go west. 
Because what's out there? Zion. The new Jerusalem is going to be out there. And in their mentality, when's the second coming coming? Soon. we got to get out there and build new Jerusalem so the Savior can come. Wow, how exciting is that? So, what do they want? They want to receive their inheritance where? In Zion. We want to go to Missouri. Let's go to Missouri. It's about to happen. That's the cool stuff. Okay? And we're in Kirtland. We don't want to be in Kirtland. We want to be in Missouri. That's where things are happening. Remember, this is 1830, and keep in mind, this is 1831. The temple in Kirtland, which is the reason they were going to stay in Kirtland, wouldn't, the groundbreaking wouldn't even happen for two years. They wouldn't be driven out of Jackson County. They're driven out of Jackson County the same week they dedicate the land in Kirtland. You know that? The Kirtland Temple is being dedicated to being driven out of Jackson County. Same week. I'm sure that's a coincidence. <laughs> the bells of hell are starting to ring. But in 1831, where do you want to be? In Missouri. Why do you want to be in Ohio? Can't figure out for the reason why it is we're even here. There's nothing in Ohio. It's all in Missouri. I want to be there. Okay, now. Listen to what's going to happen here. So, if you're in, if you're in Missouri, and you, or in Ohio, and you own land, or you're doing things, what do you want to do? Sell. I want to go to New Jerusalem. That's where the excitement is happening. Especially as these guys are coming back. They're rolling back in. How did it go? We just leave the land. There's going to be a temple. We stood on the place where the Garden of Eden was. Really? It's coming here. Wow. Oh, we got maybe we got to sell the land. <laughs> we got to get out of here. It's all happening right now. The millennium is about to occur. Get out. Let's get out of Dodge. We need to be there. And now listen to what the Lord is going to start saying. Verse 21. I will not that my servant Frederick G. Williams, who at the time is serving as what? Member of the First Presidency. This is like talking to President Irene. I will not that my servant Frederick G. Williams should sell his farm. For I, the Lord, will retain a stronghold in the land of Kirtland for how long? For the space of... Five years. This is 1831. Five years gets us to what? 1836. Anything happen in 1836? The temple. Anything else happen in 1836? Section 110. What happens as soon as the temple was there? Within a week? Elijah. Moses. Abraham, Gospel of Abraham, here it comes. All of that stuff. I will not that you sell it because I intend to have a stronghold in Kirtland for five years. Now, in 1831, does that make any sense? No. 
<laughs> they have no idea that all this is coming. So I intend to do this for the space of five years, in the which I will not overthrow the wicked, that thereby I may save some. So, guys, you're going to be in Kirtland for how long? At least five years. 22. And after that day, at the end of five years, I, the Lord, will not hold any guilty that shall do what? Go with an open heart. Where? To Missouri. So the good news is, after five years, you can go to Missouri. But as of now, stay. Now, then we get the verse that we that we referenced in the past. And just a reminder, if somebody's going to say, so when's the second coming coming? It's tomorrow, remember? Today is today, while we're preaching the gospel, and the gospel, and then the Savior will come tomorrow. This is where he's going to say that. Okay, now, look, look at 26. And it's not me that my servants, Mill K. Whitney and Sidney Gilbert, should sell their store and their possessions here. For this is not wisdom until the resident residue of the church which remaineth in this place shall go up to the land of Zion. When is that? Five years. Did Joseph believe the second coming was imminent? I think he did. I think there for a while because she says that Joseph believed that the second coming was imminent. Enough that he is... He is pestering the Lord saying, when is it going to be? And remember, when is it going to be? When is it going to be? When is it going to be? Remember the, the Lord finally says, look, if you live to the age of, I can't remember what it was, 70, wasn't it? You'll see him. We'll, we'll get to that in a second. That's coming. Okay. Okay, so I need you guys over in the store to stick around in Kirtland. Why? Because we're not leaving yet. And what and we know in retrospect, why weren't they leaving? The temple. Why couldn't they have said, why couldn't they have taken the temple and went ahead and built that in independence? Why didn't they do that? Why are we going to stick it back in Ohio? Because we're not staying in independence. No, we're not staying in independence. Why? They weren't going to be united, and because they weren't united. They were going to be thrown out. And the opposition that was about to come raining down upon their heads within two years was going to be anything, nothing they could imagine. The temple would not have been built in Missouri in 1836. It was not going to happen. It had to happen in 2012. <laughs> but in, in 1836, not a chance. In fact, remember, even to build it in Ohio, there were brethren there that were building with one hand and their other hand was on their gun. It was bad enough in Ohio. It wasn't happening in Missouri. Did they know that in Ohio in 1831? What did they know? If you're, if you're, if you're Noel K. Whitney or Sidney Gilbert or Frederick G. Williams, what do you know for sure? I'm stuck here. 
and the excitement is there. So you're telling me I have to, I don't get my inheritance. No, you have to stay. What about that? Oh, cool things are happening there. People are getting their inheritance. The Coldville branch is on their way. Great tidings are coming here. The temple. Cool. No, you got to stay. Wherefore, your agents, you're on the Lord's errand. Look at 32. All things must come to pass in their time. And then, those of you who have to stay in Ohio for a purpose that I know yet and you don't know it. And by the way, where would the Lord come? Was the Lord going to first come? They wanted to go to Missouri so they could see the Lord come. The secret to that is, where did the Lord come to? Ohio. To the temple. They wanted to go there to build the temple. Where was the temple built? In Ohio. They don't know that. In 1831, all they know is things are happening there. We're stuck here. 32. All things must come to pass when? In their time. 33. Therefore be not weary in well-doing, for ye are laying the foundation of a great work, and out of small things proceedeth that which is great. Behold, the Lord requireth the heart and a willing mind. And the willing and obedient shall eat the good of the land of Zion in the last day. Yeah. Let me see if I've got this. Neil Maxwell. The customized challenges are often the, the toughest and the most ironical. For instance, King Messiah was venerated of his people, yet ironically his sons became damaging enemies of the church for a season. Nevertheless, his discerning people still esteemed Mosiah. Now, here's the point if you hear nothing else today. I need you to get this one. Will we have that same perspective Tolerance for those being wrenched by cruel irony. When, when for the moment we ourselves are not being stretched on a particular cross, peculiar cross, we ought to be at the foot of someone else's. Why? Because we are filled in this church, brothers and sisters, with people that are stuck in Ohio. In what... Neil Maxwell will say, we'll call the cell of our circumstance. What about the young mother? Some of you are here. That for whom life exists of one dirty diaper after another and a messy home, while other people you know are off to Zion. Your figure is gone. You're wiping noses and dirty bottoms, and they're off in professional settings doing fine with thin figures and clean houses. What about for those of you who are uh, who have come to my office and have said, I have pleaded with the Lord to let me get out of this marriage, and he has said no. I am to stay. 
and it feels like you're stuck in the cell of your circumstance. What about the person stuck in a calling that you have to get yourself up every Sunday to go serve in a calling that is driving you nuts? Where people aren't listening, your leaders aren't understanding, and it feels like you're stuck in the cell of your circumstance. And everybody else is off to Missouri. And you are you are stuck. How do you get through? How do you how do you get through these seasons in your life? Do they go on forever? No, they really don't. But at the time, at the time, without being seen that the temple is going to be built, without seeing, without knowing what's going to happen to those in Missouri, all you know is what's going on in your life right now, and it's miserable, and it's painful, and it's a struggle. And the Lord says, it's okay, you're laying the foundation of a great work. The beautiful curtain of the temple, what, what did that look like when only the foundation was in place? Yeah, that didn't look like much. And you're busy wiping nose and dirty bottoms and going, and then and this kid's going for the you know temper tantrums, and you're going, this is this is this is motherhood. This is what I pray for, right? And if I looked at myself in the mirror and I hadn't had a chance to shower for two days because I've had six kids, sick kids, and I look at the cell of my circumstance and do what? Oh my gosh. And he says, fear not. <laughs> You're laying the foundation of a great work. I watched yesterday as we had kids over and grandkids. And I have all the compassion in the world my, my uh, daughter-in-law, she's got three kids and one on the way. And, and, she wa and I, watch, I watch her as she's struggling to kind of potty train and deal with all of these kids. <coughs> and, and she has friends that are off doing things and she's just trying to keep the house going. And my perspective as the father-in-law watching them is I could not be more proud of what they are doing as as parents. Because I like what my kids have turned into. But at the time when Cindy was I'm in graduate school and Cindy's just going from one diaper to another, that's a that that was a hard life. So I guess my plea to you is how many of us feel like we're stuck in the cell of our circumstance and everything is better out there. One phrase that has helped me along in life is, this too shall pass. And it does, this too shall pass. <coughs> but when we're in that cell, and we're pacing back and forth, and the door seems to be locked. It's hard. Oh, it's hard. And, and that's why I, I praise you guys every day. Those of you will say, I want to get out of this, but I know that the Lord has said, no, this is where I'm supposed to be in this much. From the hill. <laughs> I'll do something. I know. I think it's often 
Congress, and we see it here, they, things aren't what they want. No. And I, I had a little conversation with one of my daughters who, who just graduated with her MBA. It's time to move on, and she doesn't want to. She doesn't want to go to a new city somewhere and start life all over again. Yeah. And the job opportunity, she still wants to stay in that area. And the one interview she had didn't go so well. So now she called to say, remember when you were visiting a month ago? What did you do with that book on Revelation? I need Revelation. <laughs> <laughs> and then I said, she saw the and said, I don't really want it. She wants what she wants. She doesn't want to. To wrap up, let's go to section 68. One last great lesson that I thought was helpful. Again, it's guilt time, right? Verse 25. And again, inasmuch as parents have children in Zion or in any of her stakes, which are organized. And by the way, let's, let's keep in mind, just so we know, just a reminder, what's the difference between Zion and stakes? Zion is the center pole. And all of us in stakes, we are just stakes that have been drawn out from the tent, the gospel tent, back to Zion. Okay? In Zion, or in the states of Zion, that are organized, te- that, that teach children not to understand the doctrine of repentance, faith in Christ, listen closely what we're supposed to be teaching kids, to teach them the doctrine of repentance, faith in Christ, the Son of the Living God and baptism and the gift of the Holy Ghost by the laying on of hands when eight years old. And if we don't do that, the sins that they commit do what? They land on our head. Oh, that's fun. 
And their children shall be baptized for their mission of sins when eight years old. Now, there's been a puzzling verse here. I want you to hop over uh, to what I've, I've got up here. Section 93, 40 and 42. Again, this is another one of those things. It's like, if Joseph is an egomaniac, he's not plopping this into the Scriptures. 40. I have commanded you to bring up your children in light and truth. And we just know what light and truth meant. Light and truth means I am to teach my kids what? Faith, repentance, the doctrine, and, and all those kinds of things. Okay, that's the most important thing. Teach them how to repent. Okay? But I say unto you, my servant Frederick G. Williams, you have continued under this condemnation. You have not taught your children light and truth according to the commandments. And that wicked one hath power as yet over you. And this is the cause of your affliction. Now, I want to clarify this. Because this can be a guilt thing, right? If we want to assign this to ourselves, that means... That if I haven't taught my kids well, then the sin is on my head. And not only that, that is also the cause of my afflictions. And I don't think that that's what he's saying. In the case of Frederick G. Williams, though, he is saying, and here's the thing we don't have, that there were some afflictions, apparently, that were going back to the fact that he hadn't taught his kids like truth. And I have no idea what that is. I know at some level the afflictions that parents go through when their kids do dumb things. Whether he's referring to that, I don't know. And a commandment I give unto you, if you will be delivered from the thing you're struggling with, you shall set in order your own house. For there are many things that are not right in your house. Now, I want to, if we go back, here, here's the thing that I want to ask. Listen to the terminology. Again, insomuch as parents have children in Zion that teach them not to understand the doctrine of repentance. Now, let me ask, what is the difference between teaching a child and lecturing to a child? Because it's modeling. What else? Also, it's taking advantage of teaching moments. To do what? Lecture? No, to help them actually do it. Ah, so part of teaching involves doing. Okay, yeah. And it's also a foundational respect for their agency. Yes. But, but if they're not listening, shouldn't we just tell them? And how do you do that? Because there, there's the key. You're right. They have to be able to feel the Holy Ghost. How do you do that? If you're going to teach and not lecture. Teach them to pray. You're going to teach them how to pray. Well, teach us the Spirit. So you teach by the Spirit. I, I, I saw a wonderful interaction the other day between uh, <clears throat> a uh, father and a son in my office. And, and they talked for quite a while between them. They were dealing with some things, and I just kind of silently watched. 
And then I excused the sun. And I said, you just talk 90% of the time, and he just listened. That's called a lecture. And he didn't hear a word you said. You were so busy telling him stuff, you weren't listening to what he was saying. If you're going to teach, they will speak 80% of the time. You will speak 20%. Anything else is a lecture. Yeah. I think a principle, too, that I have really learned is you can teach by asking a question. Yes. And, and then, then they come to their own awareness of, oh, and the headlight then, right. then goes on. And then you didn't have to tell them or preach anything. It's something that they figured out. Even the, the, their time, the city would tell you this, their time sometimes after institute, that I'll walk out of here and go, I talked too much. I did it. If I'm teaching the way that I think I should be, then part of teaching is, is, is learning to come to know the right questions to ask. And whether that's kids, as a parent, or whether that's a Sunday school class. It's all about asking the right questions and then shut up. Yeah. Stephen Covey, in his book, uh, Seven Hands, uh -huh. he talks about seeking first to understand then to be understood. And that's what you made me think of. Yeah. That is that is that when we seek to understand where the child is at, right. then we gotta shut up. In order to do that, we have to, to back off of the lecture and understand them before they can. We can hope that they will understand us and what we are saying. The very first Bill Cosby show, way back when, okay? I remember very clearly, remember that Cosby went on to get a, a doctorate in education. The very first one, uh, his son Theo, was like cut his hair. And he's upstairs in his bedroom. And I remember that that uh, dad, you know, Cliff Huxtable goes up there and he sits down and he goes, um, your mom has sent me up here to kill you. <laughs> Can you tell me what you were thinking? And I thought it was a beautiful little piece there to say, let me, before I, are you out of your mouth? And he's like, let me understand where you're coming from first. Yeah. I'll, then I'll kill you later. <laughs>
If you'll do it, I'll be there for you. You just have to be willing to do it. I buried my testimony. This, this, is, this is true. Go ahead, get a chance to read through this stuff and see what it wants. Uh, and I leave that with you in Jesus' name. Um, just a reminder again, uh, those of you who are going to come a little bit early next week, I'll try to be here about quarter to nine so we can get tables set up. Bring your good stuff. Bring the, 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 your fun dishes that you want to let everybody else uh, try. Because this is... This is a fun experience that we go through. Okay? No, 8.45. Well, no, 8.45 for those that are going to help us set up tables and chairs and, and all of those kind of things. Okay? 8.45. And we'll still start at 9.30. We'll go for about an hour. And, and then we'll we'll go get, get the uh, problem. Or is it questions? Oh, 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 I knew that, my friend. Thank you, thank you. Email me. I don't know what I'm teaching next week. I haven't got any emails from anybody yet. Send me some stuff. Uh, otherwise, I'll have to like make up something. Uh, I mean, I'll go back over some of the old lessons. There's a lot we've left out. 
But if there's some specific topics or questions about something that we haven't addressed, please do. Okay? All right. Who's got the prayer? Thank you. Our dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time.